0: And welcome back to the podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That? I am Ido Rosenzweig, and for the past three seasons, I was the producer and editor of the podcast. If you have followed our previous season, you might have known that our usual host, Dani Reches, has decided to take some time off from the podcast in order to focus on her PhD. So for the time being, I'm gonna replace her as the host of the show. So welcome to season four of our podcast. Today's episode, which is of course the opening episode of season 4, is going to be a special episode for several reasons. For example, for the first time, the episode wasn't recorded and edited in advance, but was actually recorded live on Twitter through Twitter Spaces. Another reason is that this episode is actually a book launch event in which I discussed with Professor Betty Lai about her new book, The Grant Writing Guide a roadmap for scholars. Last reason is that the discussion was held under the auspices of PhD Genie account, which is, as I will explain a little bit more in the opening of the episode itself, a byproduct of this podcast which has grown up and gained a life of its own on Twitter. So I hope that you will enjoy the episode, and as always, we invite you to follow us on social media, just look for what to do with that in one word where the two is spelled with the number two. And also check out the PhD Genie on Twitter and say hi to me directly. Enjoy the episode. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us for this book launch event on Twitter Spaces. My name is Ido. I'm the PhD Genie. I'm very excited to open this discussion and book launch of the book, the Grant Writing Guide, the Roadmap for Scholars by Professor Betty S. Lai. Just to have just a kind of a formal structure, the discussion will include three main parts. I will start with some introduction and then uh, Betty and I will discuss, uh, we'll have some short discussion about the book and grants in general. And lastly we're gonna basically open the floor for some Q&A and of course as Suggested if you have some questions and comments, please use uh, write them uh, while we discuss. Before we start, just a couple of words. Of, um, the PhD Genie account was established as a byproduct of the podcast. What are you going to do with that? Which focuses on the life and challenges of early career researchers was hosted uh, by uh, Dani refes uh, my colleague, and I was. I am the producer of that podcast. Um, Slowly that PhD Genie account has actually gained some independence and it's own agenda and vision. And uh, that agenda and vision uh, of the account is to provide positive support to academics at all stages. And this vision has developed into an amazing community. And I'm sure that some of you are part of that community I want to thank you all for joining this event uh, as well. Um, This book launch event is basically about grants in academia and grants constitute, as you all know, a very important part of every academic's life. So let's talk a little bit about numbers and and, and grants in general. Um, There are currently more than 83 Billion US dollars in grant money available for researchers. Since 2003, more than 16 million grants have been awarded. In 2020 and 2020, in the US, uh, the, US in the US invested uh, almost 58 billion dollars in funding through three agencies alone. The first one is the National Science Foundation, the second one is the National Institute of Health. And the third one is the Environmental Protection Agency. In the UK, for example, every year the UK research and innovation invests six billion pounds in science and research. And therefore, um, if we take some, par- uh, if we play on the idea of the X-Files, we can definitely say that the money is out there. And we just need to know how to get to it. And this is what that book is all about. However, as suggested in the book, and, and, and we are also familiar with that problem, there are some problems with the, the idea of grants. Uh, for example, um, men receive almost $40,000 more in the first time, in first time funding uh, from the National Institutes of Health than uh, women receive and white investigators are 10% more likely to receive funding than, for example, African-American and Black uh, investigators. And there are many more problems. But at the same time, we can also find some ray of hope. And uh, for example, one in four awards from the National Science Foundation go to first-time awardees. So we can definitely see that there is some progress and there is some way to advance. Um, in order to build that hope and improve our chances, Professor, uh, Professor Betty S. Lye has recently published a book titled, The Grant Writing Guide, A Roadmap for Scholars through Princeton Publishers. Um, all the figures and numbers that I've just mentioned actually come from her book, uh introduction some parts in the actual book, which i I haven't finished yet, Betty, but I'm going there i'm halfway and it's super interesting oh, thank you. um <laughs> and before i uh let you know, betty introduce herself and and we can start talking about uh grants and the book, I would say that um much like its title uh, suggests the book is meant to provide a very practical roadmap to scholars. And I think that, especially, even if definitely not solely relevant to early career researchers. Um, Betty has a very comfortable writing style, which makes this book very friendly and easy to read. It has many examples and actually even templates that are very helpful and is up on the process. So with that short introduction, I'm going to say, Hi, Betty, and thanks for being with us.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for that very nice introduction, Ido. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be here, and I'm such a big fan of the Genie account, and I really appreciate all the work you do to create community here online.
0: Thank you. So let's start with with the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your academic background, you know, a little even maybe about your personal background and, and, and steer it a little bit towards the, the direction of grants.
1: Sure. So, uh, my name is Betty Lai, and I'm an associate professor at Boston College. I study how children respond to large scale traumatic events like disasters such as Hurricanes Katrina, Maria, and other large scale events like that but I was not always a person who was interested in a faculty career. I actually started my career as a middle school teacher. So I taught math math and science to middle schoolers, which was so much fun. But in that work, I realized that I was so interested in children's emotional responses and how we could support children's mental health. And so because of that interest, I went back to become a child psychologist. But I always pictured myself as having a private practice and uh, seeing children and their families during the day. But life really... Takes many twists and turns, and I just discovered that I loved being a researcher, and that really is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do research and teach, and all of that ended up kind of coming to me late in my graduate school career. So I didn't really realize that until I was during my internship year, which is what you do in psychology for your residency. But I realized that then, and so I took a research based postdoc. And then I started applying for faculty jobs and I was able to secure a faculty job and that was wonderful. But the reason why I got into grant writing was actually because in my first assistant professor job, I learned very early on uh, in the first two weeks on the job that I needed to learn how to write grants. And and that was really scary because I had never invested any time in learning how to do grant writing. I did not see that as part of my career or as part of what I wanted to do as a researcher. I really believed that there was no reason why I needed money because the kind of work I do doesn't require. A lot of participant payments for example so i just never thought that i would need to do that but um, early on into my first job uh, an administrator sat me down and he said if i wanted to get promoted i needed to learn how to write grants so that was very scary to me but that set me on a whole new trajectory of learning about grant writing and that took me all the way through today
0: that's amazing Uh, so let's talk a little bit about grants um we all know that in academia you need grants basically to 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 say bluntly to survive and 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 i think in your book you provide a few examples or a few uh reasoning why even early researchers should start looking for grants and and and, and my question is um should you look for that at the beginning as an early career researcher should you aim for big or should you aim for small grants which are might be more approachable
1: yeah this is a great question i think if you're early in your career especially and a grad student apply for anything that you could be reasonably competitive for and the reason for that is there's a social proof principle. So once you start getting some grants, you become more fundable to those bigger grants and bigger funders because now you have social proof that other people are willing to fund and invest in your ideas. They really believe in you. You've been able to secure funding and that's great evidence for your next grant that you will deliver on great ideas. So when you're early in your career, it can be really helpful to just start applying. And the other reason why I would say apply for everything you can be reasonably competitive for, and that fits your interests and bandwidth is As soon as you start applying, you also are developing your grant writing skills. And the more that you put yourself out there and try and test these skills, the more successful you will be. And you can't expect many, many rejections in grant writing. For example, at the NSF, the average grant writer submits about 2.3 proposals for every grant that they get funded. So it's not that every grant you submit will get funded, but the important thing here is to keep trying, because the only way to win a grant is to actually submit. So for all those reasons, I would suggest that if you're early in your career, definitely search out and apply for grants. And then the other reason why it's worth it to do that, even if it's for a small grant, is because once you are doing that, a lot of people don't know early in your career to start applying for grants. So you have that advantage that you're getting started earlier than others. So there aren't as many people to compete against because consider that if you go the scholarly traditional route of a tenure track or research assistant professor track, you are competing against a pool of other people who've had years of experience. So starting early gives you a great advantage.
0: Right. So in your book, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, you wrote that the average age of the the first time recipients of uh, a a big uh, grant is actually going up and up uh, from 30s, like uh, 10 years ago, to the 40s in recent years and and correct me if I'm wrong but uh, this is if I remember correctly this is what was uh, in the book and I assume that it means as a principal investigator or as a, a, lead, a leader of that grant um, and this leads me to a question of uh, should you apply alone or is it better to work with a mentor or a more experienced re, experienced researcher and, and let them be the, the principal investigator in, in the research while you gain experience on the writing of the grant?
1: Yes, this is such a great question, and it's one that I asked uh, the many people that I interviewed for the book. So I interviewed 100 people for this book, and I asked this question often to try to understand people's strategies and how they build careers for themselves. And... It really depends. So I will give some of the ways that it can depend, and then um, hopefully that helps everyone on the call uh, make their own decision. So there are huge advantages to applying with someone else in roles like what we call co-investigator, where you're not leading the grant, but you are another main person on the grant and you're contributing ideas and collaborating. That is a great place to start because just like you said, Ido, when you do that, you get the opportunity to see how somebody else writes a grant, you get to learn from and be mentored by them. So that is all excellent and can be very helpful. But for some jobs and some institutions, they want to see you being a principal investigator first, and or not necessarily first, but in order to get promoted, you have to show that role. So if that's the case for you, you want to really figure out, well, what is it that's expected of me in this role in order to move along in my career? And that's going to differ for everybody who's here or who might be listening in the future, because We all come from different fields and have different expectations, depending on the types of institutions that we're at. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is how do you get that sort of insider information about what's expected and what will help you advance in your career? And you need to do this dance between, well, what is it that you want to do with your career? But then also what is it that other people value? So for example, in my first job, it was very clear and was made clear to me that I needed to secure a federal grant, that that was the only type of funding that would count towards promotion and tenure. And a federal grant is, in the United States is a grant that is funded by um, government funded agencies. So knowing that, That was helpful information for me because it meant that I shouldn't be applying for foundation grants, which are a different type of grant that are funded by nonprofits or foundations that um, supply grant funding to scholars. But that can be very different at different institutions. So, for example, I'm still the same scholar, but I'm at a different institution now. And at my current institution, there isn't that prioritizing of federal over foundation grants. So I give that example because part of the work of grant writing and one of the skills you want to learn as a grant writer is what is it that will help you do the work you want to do, but then also what will be valued by other people.
0: That's amazing. Um, so let's take one, one uh, a short step back. Uh, so we've been working on grants. You have actually uh, secured several very impressive grants on your own. But what made you think I want to actually research the whole grant industry or how to approach grant and to uh, and write this uh, book on how to approach grant writing uh, and give a roadmap for scholars uh, at all?
1: I love that description, Ido, of um, you know researching the grants. Process. Uh, So, you know, the reason why I wrote this book is because when I was trying to learn how to write grants, I truly spent about two years feeling totally stuck. I had no idea where to start and I never wrote a single word of a grant because I couldn't even figure out, well, what kind of grant should I be applying for? Should I be applying for an NSF grant? Would it make sense to apply for an NIH grant? What was the difference and how would I know that? I couldn't figure it out and I felt so stuck, especially because I knew the stakes were so high. It had been clearly communicated to me that I had to figure out how to get a grant in order to keep my job. So I eventually joined a fellowship program where I learned grant writing skills and where I learned how to figure out this process. But I remember even at the time that I was in this amazing fellowship program, but there were only about 15 of us that were in the program. And we were getting detailed feedback on our grants. We were learning about how the review process works. And as I was sitting in these meetings, I kept thinking to myself, there are so many people that I know who should be in this room, that I wish could be in this room with us because we were getting career-making skills. And I always wanted that information to be shared widely. And I have, so many great colleagues who do share and mentor widely but my hope with this book is that we can share everything we know widely so that everybody has the skills that they need to advance in their career if they want to in this way that was really important to me and it's it's why i wrote the book
0: so who is this book actually for is it for early career researchers is it for more experienced researchers who need to fine-tune their grant approach or is it for everyone
1: so this book is really for scholars who want to learn how to write fundable grants and typically that will be people who are newer to grant writing so maybe you've had some success with some small grants but you're looking to develop and deepen your skills i have had feedback from people with very great and in-depth years of experience with grant writing, saying that they learned a lot from reading the book, um, which is very gratified to hear. I, I really think that's because so many people shared their tips and strategies in the book. So if you have a lot of experience with grant writing, you can definitely read the book and maybe pick up new ideas or new approaches. But the book is intended for scholars. And uh, as as you've mentioned too, Ido, that even if you are a scholar, grant writing may not have been part of your career. You may never have needed to write grants. I have um, you know, mid-career and senior colleagues who have never had to write grants. It's not always a part of what you need to do. So it's for anybody looking to find ways into understanding how to write grants. But I specifically focus on people who are scholars. So it's not general grant writing skills for people who work in nonprofits, for example, although people who are in those roles might be interested in this book. But this is really a book for scholars, because as scholars, we have a really unique task in grant writing because we are focused on trying to get support for ideas. And because we have that unique goal. It shapes how we write grants, and so this book is very squarely focused on people who are scholars. Right.
0: So, as I was reading your 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 book, I I found that your well, some of your examples are very lively and interesting, and I really liked your uh, examples and explanation about the hidden curriculum. And I think that this is. A crucial thing that even experienced scholars and and i've had my share in in writing uh grants and i've actually won uh some money and and i've secured my job uh for, for several years uh by getting grants year after year uh which allowed me to stay in the same place for several years at the university but at the same time when i tried to approach a different grant a much bigger grant, I figure out that I really don't have the tools, the knowledge and even the the, the, the definitions and that idea of the hidden curriculum uh, is so on spot. And I would appreciate if you can just talk about that notion like in a, in a couple of sentences.
1: Sure. So the hidden curriculum of grant writing is this idea that insiders know things and have information that makes it easier for them to get their grants funded. And this is not something that I made up. This is supported by the data that we can see in the world. So for example, at the National Institutes of Health. The top 10% of organizations that get funding from NIH, they receive 70% of the research funding. So, the top 10% who get funding get 70% of the research dollars, while the bottom 50% of organizations, they get less than 5% of the research dollars. So very clearly, we have a lopsided system, and this is not unique to NIH, I just use them as an example. but. We have a lopsided system where insiders have more access, more resources, and do better. Uh, And I know that that is not a fair system. We should not be operating in this way because if we're operating this idea in this way, we are funding the most privileged ideas. We're funding ideas that come from folks who are at certain institutions or who are trained by people at certain institutions. And I know that we can do better by sharing what we know to make sure that everybody submits and has access to trying to get support for their ideas. This really matters for all of us if we want to fund ideas that matter for everybody. So. And if I go back to that example of sitting in the room in my fellowship conversation, you know, that was exactly the feeling that I was grappling with that people who got access were in a better position. And I was lucky enough to be one of those people. But I also am so gratified and happy that in doing the research for this book, so many people, almost every single person I contacted, was willing to speak with me because we all recognize that helping others makes all of our fields better.
0: So uh, let me ask you a follow-up on that. Um, Because you said that there is a a small percentage of institutions that actually get the majority of the funding available, um, is it also a question of uh, resources that these institutions actually invest in, in the grant writing in the grant writing process and therefore it also connects to uh, even a, a second follow-up question of how much should I as a researcher invest uh, of my own time and spend on my, uh, my own time on grant writing? Uh, take into account that at, at least at the beginning I'm doing it literally on my own free time otherwise, I won't get any money
1: yeah this well a few things to answer the first part of the question about these biases that we see in funding it is partly that you know these big institutions have more resources for sure. So having research administrators or people who can read your grants and help you, but it's also the more subtle things like having more access to samples is a big difference for people who can get funded versus not. Because if you see examples of grants that have been funded by a funder, you have a better sense of the culture of that funder. And so to try to tackle that, I do have at my website openly available grant samples. If anybody's interested in them, they're at com slash samples so that you can get access to samples. Because a lot of people that I talked to said that, oh, it was very, not everybody, but some people said that it was easy for them to get started early in their career because You know, they started graduate school and they went to their mentor who said, oh, you're interested in writing an NSF Graduate Research Fellowship. And they would open a drawer and pull out 30 samples that they could look at. So you think about how different that is from the experiences of other people. So I talked to another person, for example, who was talking about how they were the very first person at their institution to ever receive an NSF Graduate Research Fellowship. So that's a very different experience that showcases how insiders and outsiders can get created in this space. But going back to your original question, you know, your first question was about, you know, the resource issue. And it it also can play out too in how your grants get rated, because at a lot of funders, they rate the environment. And so for some reviewers, they will say, Well, you're Research One institution is a great environment and they might rank other institutions lower. But there are ways to combat this in grant writing for sure. But Ida, now I've forgotten the second part of your question.
0: How much time should I as an early career researcher invest in grant writing? Ah,
1: That's such a great question. So, well, ultimately that question is up to you because so much of that depends on how much time you have and bandwidth you have and also your personal life because you know to what extent do you have this extra time that you can use towards grant writing but uh, the thing about grant writing the thing that can really make a difference for you is figuring out at which funders you're likely to be successful, you know, where can you have great success in terms of finding funders who are likely to love the kind of ideas that you have. So I have a chapter on this and I believe it's in the first chapter or second chapter where I talk about an exercise called the usual suspects exercise and how to actually find those funders who are likely to love you. So for example, one of the things that you can do is look at people that you really admire who are just a few years ahead of you or five to 10 years ahead of you and seeing who is funding their work. And because you like those scholars, And you see that funders like those scholars, those funders are a good target for you because you already know people who are like you, who do work that you admire, that have been able to secure funding from those funders. So you already are kind of fast tracking your success because a lot of this is about understanding culture and fit with a funder. And the more you can develop that list of usual suspects or grants that are likely to love you, the more likely you are to have success in this process. Because one of the big misconceptions people have about grant writing is that it's all a level playing field, but In grant writing, so much of this is about relationships and the mission of the funder. So that's one of the big things you have to understand in order to increase your chances of success with different funders. So there's no short answer to that, but I think doing exactly what you're doing, and I know that you do in your own work, Ido, of talking to more people, trying to understand success rates at the funder and figuring out to what level it will be worth it to invest that time for certain grants.
0: That's very, very good advice. Um, Let's talk about institutional support and how to benefit from the fact that um, we need the money, but also the university or the institution wants us to get the money. And therefore we can use the expertise and knowledge that the university or the institution um, is a, provides us and u- is usually available for us to get and the experts of the university, usually administrative experts um, that we should know how to utilize and how to benefit from them.
1: Yes, that's a great question. So a couple of people to really pay attention to at your institution are first you want to know who's in your research administration office so those are the people who help submit grants at your institution Uh, different institutions do this differently for example in my school we have um, two people who sit in our school who help with grant writing and they interface with uh, the grants administrators at our larger university but at other institutions You might just have one central office for your institutions, and sometimes you don't have anybody, but those are the first people to talk to because they understand the procedures for submitting grants at your institution and can be very helpful to you there because you want to make sure you follow all the rules for your grant. That's one of the big jobs that people help you with uh, when they have a research administration role because they understand the rules for the funder and how to make sure that you're grant is compliant. So that's one person. But then another person you want to speak with is whoever is your research dean or somebody in charge of your development, because you want to make sure that you get to know them well and that they know that grant writing is a goal of yours, because then they can look out for resources for you. So some of the ways that they can help you, for example, are by reading your grants or connecting you with senior scholars who will read your grants. And you do really want to get as much of that kind of feedback as possible. Because for example, somebody who has read a grant understands what the funder and reviewers are looking for. So for example, yesterday I was meeting with somebody trying to understand Fulbright's and how Fulbright's work. Um, and one of the things that they were telling me about is you know, how important it is for you to showcase that you will be a great contributor to the community and so that kind of insight and knowledge is really helpful because they were able to say okay so one of the things you want to be able to talk about is not only how you will collaborate but then what is it that you will do on the ground will you be hosting roundtables, for example will you be teaching will you be convening meetings and those are all questions that i had not thought to ask yet So getting that kind of insight from somebody who has experience with a funder is really invaluable. And then also talking to people who are closer to your current career stage and understanding how they navigated this grants writing process will also yield some really important information for you. So for example, I interviewed somebody who was talking about how when they went through their last grant process, they realized they had to coordinate between two different offices and institutions. So that kind of information, if you're new to a certain type of grant, is really helpful because that will add on a lot of time to your timeline
0: right and 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 well, from I, from what I've experienced in recent years. And I, I want to pick your brain on that and see if you, you feel the same uh, uh, direction that grants are going through. Is that in recent years, I've seen that uh, foundations and institutions, et cetera, who actually provide grants are looking more and more into the question of the impact over the development of a theory. And I I, I want to ask you if you uh, feel the same, or is it really depends on uh, the actual uh, grant or institutions or uh, NGO or government or whatever provides that grant?
1: Yeah, it can really depend on the funder. And this is a good example of why all that work that you're doing is such great groundwork because you want to understand what is it that they want to see, but then also how do they look for evidence of that? So for example, impact can look very different for different funders or foundations. So if you are applying for an education-based funder, for example, do they want to see evidence of you meeting with teachers? Or can impact be something like your social media presence? Would that be a good example of impact for them? And this idea about impact really depends based on the funder itself. But the the way to figure this out is to really spend a lot of time studying what the funder says about their mission. So for example, at the National Science Foundation, they care a lot about broader impacts and intellectual merit. But when they talk about broader impacts at the National Science Foundation, they give really specific language about what they're looking for in terms of broader impacts. And more importantly, they give language for how reviewers should look for evidence of broader impacts. So when you can pay attention to that, you can give reviewers evidence that they need to really support and advocate for your work.
0: Right, Um, so let's do a few tips for our listeners. Uh, Can you provide us like two, three, four tips for better grant writing?
1: Sure. So I think one of the first tips is definitely to start reading funded samples. It's very hard to write a great grant if you've never seen one. So uh, start looking for and getting samples of great grants. Uh, as I mentioned, I have collected the openly available samples that I have found online. That's BettyLai.com. Lie is L-A-I com slash samples. So that's one way. Uh, but also starting to ask people if they wouldn't mind sharing samples with you. So this is, you may not think of this as a grant, but I think of the Fulbright as a type of fellowship that's very similar to grant writing. So as I mentioned, I'm really interested in writing a fellowship right now, but I have never seen a Fulbright application. So one of the things that I did is I started asking on Twitter, does, ha, does anyone have an example that they might be willing to share with me. And people have been so kind and have shared their funded samples with me and the the samples that got uh, awarded. And that is so helpful because you start to understand how people made the case for their work, that they are a great fit for the mission of the funder. So that's one. Uh, The other thing you wanna do is learn how to talk to program officers. So at foundations and fellowships, grants are often managed by someone called a program officer. And that's somebody who is in charge of developing portfolios of scholarship for the funder. So for example, at the National Science Foundation, my program is called the Human Disasters and the Built Environment Program. They're really interested in how humans interact with the environment in the context of disasters. So getting to know the program officer and talking to them about your ideas is really helpful because program officers can help you understand what has been funded already recently and also, how does your idea fit with the mission of the funder? And is there a way to make a really good case for that? I have a lot of advice for how to talk with program officers and what questions to ask them in the book.
0: And the third one, if you have. Yeah,
1: the third one, you know, I think the most <laughs> important thing is to submit. I There are so many reasons why people don't submit. I think a lot of times we talk ourselves out of, well, this is a big investment of time. I might not be successful. And you know, that is true that the funding rates at funders around the world are only between 10 and 20% on average. So that's not a really high chance of getting funded. But if you're not submitting, you will not get funded. And this is absolutely also a trying um game shots on goal that you need to put your ideas out there in order to get support for them so the more that you can do this and get feedback the better you will get at this skill so that's really a mindset shift because you the misconception i see often is that people don't realize that grant writing is a skill that all of us can develop and all of us can get better at if we work on it. And one of the ways to work on it is to put your ideas out there. But I will give tip 3B, if that's okay, uh, that, you know, the other thing to do is to learn how to make even rejected grants a benefit. Because sometimes we think, oh, my grant was rejected, I failed. But there are so many ways to work with a grant that wasn't funded. You can put rejected grants on your CV, you can talk about them in your annual reviews, and you can break apart grants that weren't funded into concept papers. You can resubmit them to new funders. So don't give up on an idea just because a funder said, not right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because eventually even the persons who, the experts who receive most grants and the biggest grants have been rejected over and over again even after they received their grant so that uh, receiving a big grant definitely makes you more appealing to in the next round but it does not guarantee you anything and and you can will always get rejected just like when you submit papers for publication yes. Rejection is part of the game. Yes,
1: and just like you said, you know, that you have had great success with grants. You've been able to fund your position for so long, but now you're trying with new grants. And so part of this is the learning process and trying again to see, you know, what are the other possibilities out there? There is a great video, and I talk about it in the book of Diana Bianchi. So Dr. Bianchi has this video where she shows a letter, a rejection letter that she got from Eunice Kennedy Shriver's Institute. And this letter is really funny because right at the time she was making the video, she's the director of that Institute. So one rejection doesn't say where you will end up in the world. It's just feedback at one point in time.
0: Right. So before we open uh, the floor for questions, uh, I will ask you uh, one last question for me and Part of that purpose of that question is to allow people to uh, mark if they want to ask a question. And when do you think that grant writing skills should start? When you uh, uh, should um, undergraduate student uh, apply to grants and awards? Should graduate students start to apply to grants and awards or should you do it only as part of your PhD or as you're getting into faculty because uh, uh, money counts and it definitely adds to your CV but the real money counts when you actually have a position and the university can gain from it and as, as we both said you can actually support your own positions through it uh, in many mm-hmm. times
1: yeah you know it does depend on what your individual goals are because i don't think that everybody needs to write grants but if you want to find ways to gain more control in your career and gain more opportunities, grants are a phenomenal way to do that. And and that can be for people who are at the undergraduate level, but definitely anybody who is in graduate school, grants can really open doors and can even fund your position. So, for example, the National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship, that funds your um time and can support your training time and free up your time so at the undergraduate level applying for awards is really great because awards help you establish that you are working on developing in an area and defining an area for yourself but the same is true across your career and i'm so glad you brought up awards because a lot of people don't think about awards in this context but awards first um, can be very helpful when you're negotiating, because I have definitely been able to say, well, I believe that I would like to get a raise in this area because I've been competitive for X, Y, and Z grant, as you can see. So um, awards can be a great way to help you in your career in that way. But also awards are great for grants themselves because it's one way to establish that you are an expert and an authority figure in an area. And I would say that for anybody who is looking for a way to find opportunities to be a scholar full-time or part-time, that that grants can help you with that. So at any point in your career, this could be a skill that you may wanna use.
0: Okay, so we have uh, a short time for a couple of questions from uh, our listeners. Please let me know if you want to ask a question. And in the meantime, I would highly recommend you to follow Betty's account. And uh, it's Betty S sly and you can actually uh, uh, click on her image. I think you're gonna get to her account, and even more so in her account, you will find numerous of tips and advice about grant writing and also subscribe to her newsletter i have subscribed i think from day one and there are a lot of good tips coming up every on a weekly basis basically and it helps a lot especially if you're interested in grants and you have questions about grants this is an amazing resource uh, resource And, and 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 she hasn't mentioned that but from time to time she also uh does some kind of workshops or training sessions that really help for those who are interested in in grants. Um, and 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 lastly, I think um, Betty, correct me if I'm wrong, but, we also have a, a, a discount code for your book for those who are interested in purchasing it.
1: Oh, yes. So, and thank you so much for your kind words, Ido. Uh, if you all are interested in buying the book, if you buy it from Princeton University Press, it's called The Grant Writing Guide. And I have a 20% off coupon code that I think is good till the end of June. And that code is LII20, LAI20, L A I 20. And I can drop that in the chat.
0: Perfect. Uh, So I think we don't have questions from the audience, which is perfectly fine because I think we covered most of the issues and questions and and topics that can be raised uh, in this uh, framework. So I wanna thank you very, very much, Betty, for this uh, uh, book launch event, for playing with us and and, uh, explaining about grants and the process and providing us even tips. And, and, and I want to thank our listeners, our current listeners, live listeners, also future uh, recorded listeners who listen will listen to the recorded uh, version of this. And thank you.
1: Thank you all so much. And best of luck writing your next fundable grant. <laughs>
0: Have a nice day, evening. Bye, everybody.